Welcome to the We Go Places podcast. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at West Chicago since 2001. The We Go Places podcast, I get to visit with We Go grads in unique careers. Today, we catch up with Nils Higdon, class of 2004, professional musician, teacher, and overall musical sage. Before I start the interview, we will listen to Nils' ensemble band, Cantus. They blend Spanish classical, Latin American, and flamenco roots. And we're going to listen to the song, Jota. You can link to Nils' music in the show notes, and it can also be found straight away at nilshigden.com. Enjoy. Y tu ventana, y aunque no quiera tu madre, adiós, niñas. Today's guest is Nils Higdon, class of 2004. Nils, what do you do? Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, Well, when I'm not being interviewed by the esteemed (laughs) Brian Turnbaugh of West Chicago High School. um, Oh, thank you. Exactly. Um, So I um, 
I'm a freelance musician in Chicago, as well as uh, teach music part-time. And um, I've been doing that for 11 or 12 years now. And um, yeah, overall, I mean, sure, I've had my ups and downs, but overall, I mean, I've... I am like incredibly fortunate to have really exactly the life I want. I mean, am I perfect? No. And I hope you're sitting down for that. That's, I know that's surprising to most people. Um, but um, yeah. So um, how do I say this? I guess my, my story, the legend, if you will. Um, so for years, like all throughout high school, really until I was, maybe like right before my senior year, I was absolutely convinced like I was going to be a high school band director and that's what I wanted to do. And then I sort of had a little bit of crisis of faith um, because the obvious answer is, well, if you love teaching and you love music, you should be a music teacher. Like, wow, right? That's really wild and out there logic. But the when you dig past the first layer, the more um the more difficult question is like well how do you realize that goal and you know do you want to teach college do you want to teach high school um middle school elementary school uh band orchestra choir general music so like those are the questions that are really difficult and um you know and you know who knows maybe I'll be a high school band director at one point um you know I, I don't rule it out um but um, the big reason I didn't pursue that right away was that I didn't want to be the person that showed up for the check because that's not fair to the students or myself. And also, I have this wild and crazy theory that if you're going to do something for the money, you should do something that makes more money. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know like people think my life is just jacuzzis full of champagne. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, they think all those fat cat teachers living off the government. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but no, um, I just, I don't, I believe in that you should be making a difference in your life and the lives of others. And, and then also, like, so that would mean that there's, you had a very early on, you had a very strong sense of, artistic integrity that you didn't want to compromise uh, with that. So when, so that meant that you, that you were kind of at a crossroads trying to figure out what you wanted to then do with that, which is the idea of like teaching uh, obviously is a very gratifying you know, career. I like to think so, but you felt that you had to, you had to kind of explore more what you could do at yourself as a musician. So when, what, what, what happened at that moment where you decided to then um, kind of go into that particular path? Oh, well, so um, at the moment, I wouldn't have ex expressed it in these words, but I always felt like teaching and playing were not separate jobs. They're like more like different parts on a continuum. Like they're um, kind of inherently part, uh, they coexist with each other. So I knew that, like, yes, there's artistic integrity is very much part of it. But there's also just a very practical part of it, too, which is like, well, if I'm the person that shows up for the check, I'll just hate my job and hate my life. And how is that a way to live? Um, and then also, like, are you really going to get a job at all if you're the person that just shows up for the money? And like, 
then you have like a degree in something you don't want to do. And like, so all those things crossed my mind too. Um, I also knew that it was like, if I were to pursue playing, um, it would make me a better teacher in the future if I decided to go down that road. Um, I also was open to the idea of doing a lot of private lessons. And I do that now. I, I do a lot. I teach about 25 students. Um, I freelance. And then um, I'm also getting my master's degree part-time. So uh, so I have to kind of stop us because I realize we've gone five minutes into this interview and I don't think we've actually identified the instrument by oh. which you have virtuosity uh, in. So what, what is it that you play? Well, I, I'm a percussionist. Uh, my main instrument is the drum set, but I play all the percussion instruments, um, vibraphone, congas, timpani, um, you know, Latin, all sorts of stuff. You kind of have to in this field. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get into that. I wrote some main, I, uh, some main points down f um, to talk about with people. Um, but yeah, uh, as a percussionist, um, you, there's an expectation that you have a certain level of capability on all of the instruments that are common to play. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I, I kept that up over the years. And that was also a big reason why I'm able to freelance as much as I am and why I am um, able to teach is because I have a diverse skill set. Um, so oh, go ahead. let me, let me, uh, let, let's start off with the first, first question about your love of that particular, uh, part of the instrumental world. How did you settle on percussion? Oh, um, well, I know this sounds like something from a Hallmark card and I, I hate that Hallmark card stuff, but you know, I think the instrument kind of chooses you. Um, yeah. I remember, um, the first, when I was little, um, I saw a movie my mom and dad were watching. Well, my stepfather, my parents haven't been married for years and you know, that's a good thing. Um, they were watching a movie with uh, Tito Puente and I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And, um, and I was like, this is a reason to live. This is incredible. And, um, and then later, um, I remember hearing James Brown and George Clinton and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is being alive. Like this is something else. And, um, I was always just captivated by it. And when third or fourth grade came around, um, I wanted to be in school band. And, um, that was just kind of how it started. I have some older family members that play a little bit. So that kind of factored in. Um, but yeah, I just heard the music, wanted to do it. Like, and it was like, if I don't do this, like, you know, why not? Like, it didn't make sense to not do it. So you were, so you took, uh, obviously you were in band uh, and all the, as much music as you could while you were at WeGo. And then you leave WeGo. Where do you, what, where does that land you next? Oh, okay. I went to, um, if you want to be fancy, the Chicago College of Performing Arts, or you could just say Roosevelt. I mean, whatever. It's fine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, seem fancy when you talk about me, you know, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I went there, and um, the reason I had went there was because I was I did get some good scholarship money, so that factored in. But it was the one program that allowed me a lot of control over my like um, sort of like the fine parts of my area of study. 
I had a lot of freedom to do what I want and to study a diverse amount of things, like a lot of classical music, a lot of jazz music, um, where other programs didn't offer that. They also had like, they didn't just have one person. They had like a team of percussion teachers. So I was like, well, and then when the money situation worked out, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, plus, um, my dad lived in Chicago ever since I was, you know, three years old. So like, uh, Chicago was always home too. Um, so that, that factored in as well. So you then go off to, to Roosevelt and you grad. So what would then the, uh, the graduate, what, what's the degree in? Oh, so good question. Um, I have a major and two minors. Um, so my major is jazz studies. My minor is classical percussion and my other minor is metropolitan social issues. Hmm. Yeah, I, um, I was fortunate cause I was able to get two scholarships it was more work than I ever thought I could ever do, but I did it. And, um, that prevented me from having student debt, um, which I know sounds crazy now, but, um, school was a lot cheaper then. And, um, I'm fortunate that my family was able to help out some with tuition, but it was like, I was able to go, uh, at a very good cost through the scholarships. Um, and, um, the metropolitan social issues was uh, part of my academic scholarship that I did. So you graduate with a degree from Roosevelt uh, in, in with the major and the two, uh, two minors, then what, what's, what's next? Where, oh. where, where, how do you then do you go into, how do you, how does then you, how do you then go into the type of performance? Sure. And really, I would imagine the, the networking is so very, key for yeah, very good. Very how, good how does that work? Okay. So, um, there's a lot to kind of go over. I had the amazing luck of graduating right into the great recession. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot. Oh, four, oh, eight. oh my goodness. I know. Right. So may I graduated, and then, you know, the fall, everything hit the fan. Now, on top of that, my last semester at Roosevelt, it was ex it was ex horrendously stressful and and everything. And um, I had lined up. Um, I was I had all this work I was going to do over the next year. I was going to do a cruise ship job, or no, I was going to play a musical theater job over the summer that was going to pay significant money. I was going to do a cruise ship job play at the jazz festival. And then I was, my plan was to study, to, to, uh, to study in Cuba for a little bit and then come back and figure things out. Um, now through a combination of bad luck and just like, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? Everything fell through. So, um, just, there was like incompetent people. Um, and, and then everything fell through, just multitude of just really idiots. I mean, and then, um, so my choices were spend all the money in my bank account and go to Cuba or not. And I was like, well, I can't justify spending all that money. And, oh, and then the recession happened, that minor thing. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, oh yeah, unemployed. Great. Woo. Yeah. And, but, you know, in hindsight, it ended up being one of these things 
where, you know, at the time things were falling apart, but in reality they were kind of falling together. Um, I, um, so the first year was horrendous because I remember my plan was always that, um, uh, what was it like? Okay. Oh, when I was getting towards the end of college, I was like, okay, I'm really going to pursue like teaching private lessons. And, you know, if I have to get like an extra side job or something, I'll do that. And by that point, I was also, I was actually towards the end of my college career, I was starting to freelance a lot. Like it wasn't unusual to have maybe 10 gigs in a month or something. And then my all time high is like, I think somewhere between 25 and 30. Um, and then, um, a month. in a month. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty busy. Yeah. It's rather busy. Um, and it's, it's, but at the time the quality of things were, were not good. And I knew that I didn't want to just freelance. Um, just as funny as it sounds, just playing is kind of, it, it's not, it, I, I figured out early on because I had the opportunity to play a lot that just playing music for a living was not something I wanted to do because you lack, there's, um, it's like you lack a sense of control. You're like, you're like a slave to whatever calls next. Like, like, you know, 90% of the things I were doing was like, I don't know, adequate to something I wouldn't want to do if I wasn't getting paid. Um, so for me, it was like, I would much rather have the creative freedom and, the uh, ability to say no to gigs, um, whether it's for like ethical reasons or personal reasons or something. Um, I, and then also like it's counterintuitive, but it can actually be bad for your musicianship to just play that many gigs because a lot of times like you get in the habit of doing the same easy thing over and over again, or you know, whatever. And it's like, it could be more beneficial to stay home and practice than it, than it could be to go out and play like dinner music as quietly as possible, you know, for rich people somewhere. Like, I mean, not to say that I don't ever do that or to, to look down my nose at anyone who does, but it's like, for me, I realized that if I'm going to do this, like, like I didn't spend thousands of hours in a practice room to only do things like that it was really important to me that I be able to play the stuff I really believe in. Um, and, and that I have something to like show for all my work. Like, I mean, I've played lots of weddings and I played all sorts of crazy things and like, that's fine. Like there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I knew it, I didn't want it to be like a major focal point of my life. Um, I remember, Oh, go ahead. Mr. Caltadroni was telling me a story about a time when he went to New Orleans and they went to Preservation Hall and they, I think that it was a, it, they must get asked the musicians there to play when the saints come marching in like <laughs> so much. Yeah. Right. They're, they're like, it, they're like, no, if, if you want us to play this, you're going to have to like really put some play, like, but like they make it almost so they dare you. Like, if you're going to make us play this, then you, you're going to have to put like a thousand dollars in the pot. It was something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you know, and it, it reminds me of like what you're saying, which is that, that 
um, there comes a point where if you're going to not sharpen your creativity or your craft, uh, then then why are you doing? It? I mean, it, it, at least to the extent where you're going to be asked to do the same thing over and over again, you're uh, you're you're not moving forward if you're staying still. And and I think that's the that yeah, exactly. kind of an idea. Oh, I forgot to answer one of your questions about getting started. So, um, so uh, you build it. The best way is like you build a network um, of people that know you and trust you. And the first people in your network are your teachers. Um, like those are some of the first people that got me really good jobs. Um, like, you know, whether, you know, gigs or study gigs or whatever. Um, that's your first part. And, you know, it's, like, you know, a lot of times, like any sort of field, especially fine arts and stuff, it can be known as being cutthroat. But, you know, um, I I actually argue the better way to, like, proliferate and promote yourself is to be awesome at your craft and also you to be an awesome person. Like, you know, there's this... this um, poster at work that we always mock and it says like the six pillars of character and it's like integrity and kindness and it's like we always mock it because it's like who is going to see that and go six pillars i want to do that like it's it's so bad (laughs) but it's true like you know think about it it's like if every if there's if there's a field that's like that has any field you know like has climbers you know people that will walk on whoever to get where they want to like who wants to spend time around someone like that? Like those people have a limited success. Um, their success either leaves or if they they might fall through the cracks and have a degree of success, but ha- degree of success, but have a terrible life. Like, um, so if you can be not only great at your instrument, but fun and reliable, responsible, nice person, like, if you have all those things, you're going to be the someone that people call. Um, the other major thing for, um, I remember going to jam sessions all the time, like all the, the jazz jam sessions, like with Von Freeman and Fred Anderson and at Andy's and like, um, as soon as I could get in, as soon as I was old enough. And so that was a way where like you would meet people, and it was, it's sort of like the equivalent of handing out business cards, um, meeting people in person so that they know you and like, they don't just know your Facebook posts or something. Um, and then like, that's a big way of networking, going to see live performances of people you admire and getting to know them. That's a, the thing too. Um, but yeah, the big thing that that's what I would say is like making personal connections and, you know, having, being someone that like is actually a good person and being able to do the job, like that's huge. Um, um, oh, going back to something I said before, um, you know, I had a variety of, or when things fell apart for me after the recession, one thing that did fall together was I actually got one of my current jobs I have now Um, I work in the music department at Riverside Brookfield High School, and we have a private lesson program within the school. And um, over the years, I cultivated it, and it's been a really great place to work. Um, I've had students go on to get scholarships from elite universities. Um, 
you know, I've had one of my students just got her um, her doctorate in music theory. Another one just got a scholarship to Elmhurst. Um, people have went to North Central, Northwestern, and like, um, and so, you know, had had uh, had everything not fallen apart for me, who knows if I would have had that. Um, I did recently complete a a, man, a teaching manual um, about like how to practice properly for like beginning students. Um, I write my own compositions and arrangements. Um, that's part of my master's thesis. I'm doing my thesis on uh, teaching fundamentals through popular music. Um, so like, yeah, I've been able to over the years cultivate that. And the reason that I was asked to do that job at all was that um, I have a diverse skill set that they needed that not many people have and that they felt like I was someone they could work with. Um, so yeah, that would be, that, those would be my big things is like, do your job well and actually be a good person. <laughs> <laughs> that has been so incredibly gratifying to see your, those students continue their love of music and find an incredible degree of success and, you know, and, and knowing that you were uh, fundamental to, um, to keeping the flame alive uh, with them. And I'm trying to remember if I, I want to say the, the, the root word for education in Latin, it was like edu, educere or something like that. And I think it, I'm going to have to go back and I could probably look it up right now as we're speaking right here, but I, I think it is, I think the root of the word is to to keep the flame, right? Like, is to to keep it to, to keep it going in such a way. That so, reminds me of um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Um. So, okay, now let's go back and, and talk about. I mean, th this is all all great stuff, but let's get back to like the part about you, the musician, and the the the, the alchemy of being on stage and your performances. Tell me about like one of the best gigs you ever had. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm trying to think, I mean, there's, there's, I'm really fortunate that I've had a lot of them. Um, I've played the jazz festival six times. Um, I've played the jazz showcase, I don't know, 10, 12 times. Um, one thing that, Oh, you know, one thing that stands out, I played at orchestra hall um, with um I played with the Chicago Youth Symphony. They needed a drum set player at the last minute. Um, we did a performance of um, of a Duke Ellington piece for big band and orchestra, and um, that was um, that was a really an awesome experience because it was kind of like everything came together. It was like a lot of things. I was able to play with students, and you know. Um, help support them. I was able to um, work with this great organization at a great place. So that was really nice. Um, another thing was um, performing at the Jazz Showcase, like an entire evening of original music that I had been working on at the time. That was some of the most difficult music I've ever played. Um, so that was a major thing. Um, I think playing at the, I played at the Cervantes Institute. There's a recording of this on my website. Um, I wrote a piece for vibraphone and flamenco band. That was a really um, wonderful experience because it was something that, well, I guess all of these um, experiences, the one thing they have in common is that I was able to play music. I love with people I love and that I was able to move myself drastically forward 
uh, creatively and to do so in, a, in an environment where it was well received. Um, that but, sounds like bliss. Yeah. And, you know, because the, the thing is, like, you know, um, something we don't but like so many gigs, like the, I guess the dark way of putting it is that <laughs> is that like so t- there's there's at least one thing wrong with every gig, right? Like either the money is great and the music sucks, or vice versa. <laughs> I choose to not look at it like that, but there it's you know there's an element of truth. But every so often, all those things line up, and it's like you know, oh great. Um, but um, yeah, those are the things. I mean, there's so many and. Um, I am very happy that because I've structured my career in such a way, um, that I'm able to have more performances of like that. Um, and, um, and, and, and rather than like, you know, just having to play whatever comes my way. Um, so yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you'll go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that, I mean, that's basically what it is, is like, um, being able to focus on playing the stuff that's important to you does actually yield very, very positive results. One of the things that I, I think it would be important to, to know that, you know, you, you have to train, right? Like things you, you, you have to sharpen, you're always innovating. What is it? How, how much work do you put in? And, and maybe there's a better word than work, but what kind of work do you put in to get better at your craft? Like, is that a daily meditation or daily practice? What is, what, what is a, a daily or a weekly uh, practice or sharpening look like for a percussionist? Sure, sure. Good question. Um, so at this point in my life, you know, um, like luckily, like my work, and everything is interrelated. Um, when I was in the conservatory, I was definitely one of those practice like four, six, eight hours a day people. Like I'm not talented, like by any stretch of the imagination. Like I am not one of these people that could just pick up the sticks and do it. Never was. Um, it was just all like I wanted to do it and, you know, um, failing really didn't matter to me. Like that's another, that's an inspirational quote that I like to tell my students is you're going to be a failure. (laughs) And what (laughs) I mean by that is like, we all fail, right? Like, um, like I've, I mean, it's like baseball, right? Like I'm going to act like I know things about sports ball. Um, but you know, like a good, (laughs) yeah, a good batting average is like 300, I think which means you hit the ball three out of 10 times or so I'm told, but that, yeah, means- I, I love, go ahead. I love all of the different ideas of how to reframe what success is when you don't use the word failure. And I, I want to, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's the idea of um, it was Thomas Edison, right? Where it's like, the dude was a notorious failure with his experiments. And like, I think it was like the light bulb or something like that. And he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't fail 2000 times. I just kept on testing until I got it right. Exactly. Right. And there's a a great way to look at it. Right. Yeah. You know, I remember I took a a class. It was history and politics of Chicago. And one of the most historically significant things was that after the city burned down, like you can look this up. Um, Literally the next day, people just started rebuilding like, oh, all right, you know, burn down. Okay. Like, um, yeah. And oh, so to answer your question, um, so when I was in the conservatory, it was like all day, every day. Um, It was a little too much in retrospect, but 
Um, that did set me up to have lots of success. But the other thing, um, I didn't sacrifice my personal relationships for work and I didn't sacrifice my health for work. Um, and like, I have been known to be a little bit of a workaholic and I, I, I do balance that a lot better now. Um, at this point, yeah, I, um, you know, when, when you get older, it's harder. Cause it's like, if you have two or three gigs in a day, then, you know, you're not going to be practicing as much. Um, but you are like doing music or like, um, so now it's a little harder to quantify my exact practicing schedule. It still is like a couple hours a day at least. Um, but then I might go teach like, like Tuesdays and Thursdays, I teach like seven or eight lessons in a day. Um, and then also one thing, one of the reasons that, um, teaching does work out well for me is that teaching actually builds your musicianship a lot. Um, I had to work a lot on my piano playing to accompany my students. Not that I'm great, but I'm good enough to do that. Um, I got, I got into writing music, like both original things and arrangements, um, actually because of my students. Um, also if you get offered a gig that's outside of your comfort zone, that means more practicing. Like certain things I can just show up and do it with no preparation. Cause I've just done it before. Um, so all that stuff factors in. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would say in one way or another, I'm still putting in at least, you know, several hours a day into this. So I'm going to have, I'm going to give you a kind of a, a nested question here, um, which is, so you said something just back then and it made me think that you know, how would you say that musicians maybe see the world a little bit differently, but then even within the world of musicians, you're, you would probably identify as a percussionist first, but you have been able to kind of teach yourself writing and then piano and all that stuff. So I guess my, my twofold question is, you know, how, how do you think musicians see the world differently, but then within the world of music, how do percussionists then even see things even more uniquely? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'm trying to think. So as percussion, we have a specific challenge in that, you know, our instrument goes whack, right? Like, Hey, this is an instrument. <laughs> That's me hitting my table. Um, you know, everyone else gets all these fancy notes and stuff. And so like, there is like a larger bridge to gap or larger gap to bridge or a larger distance to yeah. travel if you want to, um, you know, do things like write and, and stuff. Um, so you have to put more time into that. Um, because like, you know, if you play an instrument like, you know, a flute or something, like you have to develop a sense of what is in tune and like, you'll probably learn things like, um, you know, this melody or th this part of the melody arpeggiates a chord or this, you know, this arpeggiates this specific type of chord. So you learn about things like harmony and stuff. Um, so that was goes back to my point about having a diverse skill set. Like, I really put in time to learning the mallet instruments. I really focused on, I focused on the things that weren't easy for me, um, like ear training. When I took music theory, that wasn't easy. So I, you know, you practice the things you're not good at. Um, and then in terms of how musicians see the world differently, well, there's there's. <laughs> There's musicians and then there's good musicians. Um, <laughs> truthfully, um, with this field, 
And, and one thing I always emphasize, and, and going back to why I say I emphasize like character with my students so much is that, um, you know, with musicians, it's kind of like the Wild West and it shouldn't be like that. Like we do have to raise the standard. Um, part of that comes from the fact that like, you know, no one calls themselves a plumber for fun. Like, I mean, plumbers are great, but you, or there's you know, the other joke is plumbers don't have jam sessions, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the... Um, so like, truthfully, like some of, like when I think of all the greatest people I've ever met in my life, like, like real life superheroes, like people that are incredible players, incredible teachers, incredible human beings, like people who have like literally, you know, just beyond measure made the world a better place. Like all of them are artists and musicians in one way or another. Right. But when I think of some of the worst people I've ever met, yeah, they're also musicians too. It's, it's sad. You know, it's really sad that we, the field is like that. Um, so um, I think that um, in terms of like how good musicians see the world differently, I think that, you know, how we talked about how like the fine arts, it carries like the narratives that we need to internalize to better understand ourselves in the world, right? Like, like the fine arts are not just like a distraction from reality, but it's it's a it's a lens through which you view reality to better understand it. And I think you know, good musicians have lots of those lenses. Like they have lots they have lots of those narratives. Um, so because of that, I do feel like that's why some of the greatest, like all of the greatest people I've met in my life are in one way or another artists, artists and musicians is because they, we, there is a great, um, there is a, how do you say this? It's like they, they under, they, they have cultivated. Is there an, is like they're an optimism that they can create something that which there was no blueprint before. Is yeah, it kind of like that? There's that. And the way I would put it is that you you cultivate yourself through the study of your instruments. So things like discipline, goal setting, um, ability to finish tasks, like ability to show up on time, like those things like you cultivate yourself as an individual. And then through studying music of various cultures, various time periods, um, and just being a member of a group, like doing something that's so inherently group focused, you cultivate yourself as a community member and as a team member. So I think that people in the fine arts, particularly particularly musicians, um, they see they they have those character skills, um, like more so than than many others. That was that was brilliant what you just said. I mean, ever, ever, the, that list that you gave was just so spot on. There was something that you said earlier, uh, maybe a few minutes ago, that I thought was really interesting about this concept of talent. That you said that you didn't feel, not that you're not talented, but you felt that it it was your work ethic that has maybe positioned yourself yourself for the success that you've had. And it made me think about. Um, 
something that's uh, I think that quite happens to a lot of people. And I would imagine this is it happens in, me- in in basically every field. It's the idea of the imposter syndrome, right? Where it's like you see someone who apparently has talent, but then you think, well, I can't do that. But you were mentioning how like your work ethic and your love and enthusiasm and intrinsic motivation have then in many ways transcended what people would normally have as talent. Could you maybe expand about uh, uh, more about that idea of the, not necessarily the, the imposter syndrome, but how, how that, that, that work ethic does in some ways equalize, if not then go beyond those uh, individuals in, uh, in music that have talent. So what is it? There's uh, someone smart said this, let's just pretend it was me. Um, What is it? Success is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. I forgot who said that, but it was totally me. Like, let's just say that. (laughs) But no. um, So in terms of talent, um, I think I wouldn't go as far as to say that I think talent doesn't exist at all. I I think it exists in a very small number of people. Like, I do think that talent, like, I do think that there are some people who just for some reason get it really quickly. Um, but the other thing is talent is unimportant. Like, um, all those people that just happen to get it, they usually fall apart at some point because they don't know how to work. They don't know how to fail at something. Um, and that, and frequently that is just like when the musical task gets too difficult, they fold. Or the other thing is, Maybe they're really good at their instrument, but really terrible at life. So, you know, that, that makes it hard to do anything. Um, you know, they're either just like horrible jerks or like, you know, irresponsible and, you know. Um, but no, I think, I, I do think that, and I, I also think of what we conceive of as talent can actually be explained in much more tangible terms. Um, well, you think about it, like, let's say your first exposure to music is really positive. Like, let's say you see uh, Dizzy Gillespie and, you know, he's like the coolest person to be alive. And let's say he's playing like Montego, which is a really fun, exciting, really cool piece. And, you know, it's like if your first exposure to music is Dizzy Gillespie, you're way more likely to be enthusiastic about music. So already you're starting ahead of someone who's like, let's say like their first exposure to music is hearing something they totally hate. Well, they're not going to be enthusiastic. So six months later, who do you think is, who do you think are we going to say is the talented one in music class? Well, the one that had the enthusiasm and then, or the other very tangible way of explaining it is like, what if someone happens to just get paired with a teacher they work well with and someone else doesn't? Um, so like you think about it, like there's very tangible reasons why we might say someone is talented or not. And those reasons have nothing to do with talent. Um, and then the other thing is that, um, you know, like I said, you're just going to be a failure at some point. Right. So if that's why I think talent is frequently unimportant or not helpful, um, is because you don't learn, what is the the fancy buzzword, grit? Yeah, you don't develop grit. And and that's what the important thing is. I mean, 
that's what the important thing is, is just wanting to do it. And, and, and also like having a disciplined and a structured way of achieving your goals. And that's where a good teacher comes in. Yeah. And I, I was able to look up uh, the, the, I, I was completely wrong on the, on the Latin word of root of education. So <laughs> uh, here it is, here it is. Uh, and this, this, this actually fits exactly what we're saying here, which is um, uh, da, 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 uh, the, there are two ways of saying it. Edu, so educare, which means to train or to mold or educere which means to draw out. And I think that's a very interesting um, contrast between two ways in which you could look at education. Either I'm going to mold or I'm going to draw out. And it's that drawing out of uh, of learning is that kind of intrinsic motivation that you were just kind of describing, right? Like you, you, you do have that grit because you want to get better. You're in that flow state of learning. You develop the type of reflection and intuition to get better at the things that you're, that you're just completely enthralled in yeah. when you're, when you're learning. Yeah. Oh, I, and I want to throw something out there really quick. So yeah. the other thing that the why fine arts are an essential part of an education, I want to throw that out there for anyone voting for a referendum ever. Um, I always say that a successful music student is not one that, passes the most auditions or whatever. It's the one that votes for the music referendum when they have kids throwing that out there. But um, so the, one of the reasons among many why fine arts are so important and foreign language too, incredibly important um, is because it allows people to not, it goes back to that narrative thing we were talking about, right? Um, Where it allows people to not, to not, like know what success is, but to feel what success is. And so that's something like being able to feel success in a visceral way is something that applies to every aspect of your life. Like, um, because that's where you get the motivation to do anything you want to do. Like I always say, like, you know, you're not going to hear any doctor come racing out of an ER going, oh, my God, oh, my God, this man needs to hear an E-flat scale stat. Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. They're not going to go, oh, my God, it's terrible. E-flat octatonic. Like, that's not a thing in life. But would you ever really want a doctor that didn't know what an E-flat scale was? Like, if they couldn't memorize eight notes, how good of a doctor are they really? You know? <laughs> you know? For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, you couldn't. I mean, that's that is uh, is so essential that we know how to obviously broaden the brain and in all different types of critical thinking that goes along with the benefits of having music in one's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's beyond dispute at this point for sure. Yeah. Uh, so what? So what? What are you working on right now? Oh wow! Right now, um, I am. So, well, a lot of things. I'm trying to think. I am working on completing my master's degree and um, I'm doing a degree in instrumental pedagogy. Like pedagogy is a fancy word for the art of teaching. Uh, It's a degree (laughs) centered around people that want to do college level teaching. Um, So my, the things that I've discovered over time, I'm really interested in um, college. Like um, I don't know if I really want to work at an elite conservatory because uh, I don't know if that's where the field is going. Like, I'm really interested in teaching community college 
mostly for the fame and fortune. Um, and, uh, so I'm interested in doing that as well as teaching, like continuing the teaching I do currently. Um, so I got this opportunity to get this master's degree for kind of an extremely low amount of money. I'm like, wow, I can't turn that down. So I'm going to Northeastern Illinois university for my master's. I really like it. Um, so I'm working on that a lot. I went to continue to broaden my skill set, uh, deepen my knowledge of classical music, as well as um, just um, just like expand more on things I, I didn't do as much of in my undergrad, and to just also you know study the art of teaching. Um, and then I am just getting started on my master's thesis. Um, it just got approved. Like I said, I'm doing it on teaching fundamentals through popular music. Um, there's, uh, there's examples of this on my website as well. Um, so it's a, it's a method of teaching that is, um, it's performance-based. It emphasizes various forms of popular music from around the world. Um, things like bossa nova, tango, funk, uh, Afro-Cuban music, um, hip hop, stuff like that. Um, but it's designed, and it's designed uh, to be not only intellectually rigorous, but um, audience friendly, and um, also to emphasize music history as well, um, and um, its importance in culture and stuff like that. So that's really cool. Um, I'm writing a bunch of original pieces uh, with a friend of mine. Um, and it's uh, a lot of stuff that's based around music from Spain. Um, until recently, I, uh, the ensemble fell apart because of the pandemic, but I played in um, an ensemble that did all music from Spain and Latin America. Um, I'll send you the album, by the way. And oh, thank you. Yeah, and then, um, and then like writing pieces for my students. Um, I specifically worked um i specifically chose my master's thesis to overlap with my job so that so that uh, you yeah, know working smarter not harder it, i like that exactly um so yeah that's what i'm working on and you know a couple things here and there just for fun but um yeah playing a lot of vibraphone and stuff like that um not working on drum sets so much these days but you know like the things i'm not good at um uh, so go ahead sorry Oh, continue. Oh, no, no, no. I was done. Nils, what advice would you give current Wildcats about how to be successful? Okay. I actually wrote down a bunch of things. And um, so I, I, I'm going to go over it. And then also, um, I was just asked to do a master class at Morton College um, coming up. And um, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it on building a career as a middle-class musician. Um so it's kind of worked out well. So the first thing I, I didn't write these down in any particular order. Cause I'm, you know, I'm not that organized, you know, don't think too highly of me, <laughs> but the first is have a wide idea of success, right? So just think about it. Like just by the sheer law of numbers, if only one thing in life is success to you, you're much less likely to get it right. Like for example, like if let's say your only goal, the only thing in your mind that'll make you successful is being like in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra or being a professional basketball player or being whatever, um, you know, it's like, well, if that's the only one thing to do, well, you're probably not going to do that because 
when does anything go according to plan? But if you think to myself, like, if you think like, hey, I might only do exactly what I want part of the time, but that's better than 98% of people, you know, then you're way more likely to be successful. Like, for example, like, you know, if it was up to me, it'd be all like John Coltrane and Latin jazz all day, every day. But, you know, it's like, you know, it's like every, every job has something that's wrong with it. Right. If you, if you want to look at it like that, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the arts, like, you know, t- so many people told me, oh, you'll just be waiting tables the rest of your life. Oh yeah. You know, you'll, you'll never be successful. And, you know, that was a great way to grow up. <laughs> but, you know, first of all, there's nothing wrong with waiting tables, especially if you're happy. And that's a really hard job and deserves tons of respect. But, you know, like, you know, I've had side jobs. I've, you know, done, I've done everything. And it's like, let's say, even if you have to have a day job doing something that isn't perfect, if you still get to do what you love at least, you know, at part of the time, you're successful. Like I always tell my students, like if you are self-sufficient, happy, and you like, you just play your butt off, like that's success and however you get there is fine. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, even the best part, jobs are bad. Parts of them said that. Uh, oh, another thing I'd say is study both major historical p- figures in your field, um, but also like local middle-class people as well. Like, one thing we don't do well of in the arts is like we study Beethoven, we study Mozart, we study, um, you know, all these major historical figures, right? But like, you know, newsflash, I'm not as good as, Mo- as, good as Mozart, you know? <laughs> you know? So like one thing that I think we don't do well enough is we don't illuminate a path of like how to be like doing this in our day-to-day lives. So try to find people that you know that like that you can emulate and that you can ask questions to. And that's, you know, maybe that's a teacher. Maybe that's maybe if you like are really into animation or working on cars, maybe if you can find someone that like, you know, a, a mechanic you like, call them up and ask them how they did it. Like, why not? What's the worst that's going to happen? They say no. So what? Ask someone else. Um, So, oh, the other thing is, you know, make sure that the career path you want to emulate is current. So, like, be a good student of history and, like, see where your field is heading. So, like, so many people say, oh, the arts is so screwed. Like, oh, like, there's, there's so many, there's way less gigs now than there was 40 years ago. And that's true. But there's all music education is a lot better now. Um, and therefore things like um, there's all sorts of things that have sprung up around that. Um, one of my friends is one of the absolute best saxophone players in the area. Everyone loves him. He's amazing. He's flown around the world and all this other stuff. He has a business repairing instruments, like repairing woodwind instruments. And he's also extremely good at that. So like, um, so even though there's less gigs, he's still able to work in music and he makes a very comfortable, very good living doing that. Um, and so like, instead of just crying into your beer about like how there's less gigs, like, you know, this is a guy who's studied 
like who saw where the field was and how it's heading and he stayed on top of it. He's doing great. Um, and then also like prepare yourself, like don't, don't, don't think about just the ideal part of your job. Think of the everyday parts as well. Like, um, there was a funny thing on NPR. They said something like, I went into, or I wanted to be a dermatologist so I could cure skin cancer. But, you know, I still spend most of my days like treating acne and, you know, all these like everyday things. Like, and so like, you know, be prepared for that. So like, as a percussionist, I didn't just, um, I didn't just prepare for exactly what I wanted to do. Like, I knew that I had to have skills on, I knew I had to have a certain amount of skills to get through things like an Easter church gig, um, to get through like a dinner music gig, like, like, um, to, like, I knew I had to have those skills because they would come up. I knew that I had to be good at, um, you know, like all these things that weren't my favorite thing to do, but they were really practical. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm successful is because I put the time into doing that. Um, then the other thing is, oh, focus on what you are doing, not on what you're not doing. Like, meaning like, I know a lot of people in my field that are like, man, I make all my money just playing gigs. And I, you know, I played this and I play that and I'm not waiting tables and I'm not sweeping floors and I'm not. And it was like, well, yeah, but you know, the guy that sweeps floors can play any gig he wants. <laughs> like, and when you ask these people that, you know, that go on and on about how many gigs they play, it's like, you ask them what they are doing and like, they don't really seem super happy with their lives. Um, so like that kind of gets to my next point, which is like prioritize mental health, financial health, physical health, and your overall happiness. Um, because I mean, that's what success is. Right. Um, and like, there's a really good quote. I forgot who said it. If anyone asked, it was me, <laughs> but it said, um, something to the effect of, um, be disciplined and measured in your life so you can be violent and creative in your work. And that really stuck with me where it's like, there's a direct relationship between like your, your health and your artistic freedom. And that's like financial health, mental health, like all sorts of things. Um, so focus on that. Like you don't have to be a suffering, starving artist, like free advice. You'll do enough suffering and starving life. is just hard enough already, you know, like, so, um, that's another thing. Oh, and then, you know, and then the last thing I wanted to say is like, success is something you cultivate. It's not, it's not something you get, like, it doesn't just fall into your lap. Like, um, it's something that you continually work on and your goals will probably change over time. And like, that's fine. And like, you're going to fall flat on your face sometimes and like, well, welcome to the club. Like, um, and so like, just keep all that stuff in mind. And, um, you know, going back to what I said before, like, um, you know, be good at your job and be a good person. Like actually, you know, be, you know, if you do that, like, that's what success is. You'll have friends, you'll have all the best stuff. Like, don't be one of these weirdo climbers that steps on everyone. Like, ugh, 
like, I mean, in this field, it's true. Um, like, there's a, you know, playing your instrument is like 10% of the reason you get hired for a job. It's 90% you. Like, I know tons of great players that no one would hire. I got a whole list of people I won't hire. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be my my closing thing is, um, yeah, be awesome at what you do and be an awesome person. Yeah, Nils, I mean, I think those are two piercingly, you know, wonderful you know, if we, uh, we're, we're joking that you had six pillars, but if we're going to end those two pillars right there, I think are uh, uniquely positioned for a success. That was fantastic. Nils, thank you so much for this wonderful uh, interview today. We covered so many great ideas about what it means to be a musician, an artist, a teacher, uh, and all everything else that, that goes along with this. This was fantastic. Absolutely. My pleasure. And, you know, um, yeah, it's like West Chicago is a great place to go to school. Um, and like, I, I have to say, like, I look back, I was like, man, I was really fortunate to have excellent teachers like yourself. And now that we're recording this, remember to tell Mr. C, uh, suffrage means suffering and Columbus discovered America. <laughs> He's going to love that. He's going to love that. All right. Uh, Onward and upward. Great. Remember to vote, everyone. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'll make sure I get this out before before. So for sure. Yes. All right. Thank you, Nils. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can check out Nils's music at nilshigden.com and links will be in the show notes. We're going to listen to Cantuz's Soliares on the way out. You can also subscribe to more episodes of We Go Places in iTunes if you search We Go Vox. We go V-O-X in the iTunes podcast page. See you next time.